Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 5, verse 16. This is part 6 of a, of a series that we began on the subject of prayer. We've titled it A Lifestyle of Prayer. This is part 6. And we've taken as a text James chapter 5, verse 16, and we specifically chose the New Living Translation because I just believe the New Living just nails this verse. You know, if you read this one in the, in the King James as I did growing up as a kid, you would know it to read, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, nobody talks like that anymore. So I thought, you know what, the New Living just really captures the essence of what this verse says in, you know, in common English. So you can see it up on the screens. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, watch this, has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm looking at a group of people that I know expect their prayer life to have great power and produce wonderful results. Amen? If, listen, why pray if it's not going to work? Why bother? You know? I mean, just, you know, get you one of the magic eight balls, you know, and just shake it and see what it says. If, if prayer doesn't do anything for me, why should I bother? Right? I'll just binge watch another show if I, mean, I got the time. Right? If prayer doesn't work, why bother? No, prayer does work. And in fact, it has great power and it produces wonderful results in our lives. I believe with all my heart that the most important spiritual discipline in the life of a Christian is consistent, heartfelt, faith-filled prayer. Consistent, heartfelt, faith-filled prayer. Now we looked at six different what we called prayer essentials. Six different prayer essentials, and if you've been tracking with us, you'll know each one of these prayer essentials starts with what letter? Yes, you guys are good students. C. And, uh, you know, I did it like that, not to be clever, but so that hopefully it would help you to remember all these things, because it's helped me to remember them. The first thing that we said, the first prayer essential that we talked about was connection. We said that prayer connects us to God. And that our connection to God is actually one of the big keys to getting our prayers answered, is that we remain connected to the Spirit of God at all times. Number two, prayer essential, was conversation. We said that if your prayer is one-sided, then it really isn't prayer, at least not the way that God intended for it to be. You should talk to God, and he should speak back. And we should train ourselves and train our ears to listen. Number three was confidence. We said that if you're going to pray, pray confidently. Amen. Pray with some faith and some boldness. Number four was consistency. We said that the most effective prayer life was a consistent prayer life. Nobody got good at doing anything by doing it once. Amen. You're not going to become a spiritual prayer giant by just blessing your food and that's it. Right? Lord Jesus blesses, nourishes my body in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, that's all the prayer I'm doing for today. No, that's not going to get it done. Right? Number five, we said, was last week was charismatic. And we said, we talked about praying in other tongues and the power that comes from being filled with the Spirit of God. And I'll do just a real quick review of that. And then number six, what we're going to talk about today is compassionate. Compassion. Our prayer ought to be filled with compassion. 
Let me quickly review what we talked about last week, prayer essential number five being charismatic. We looked at Acts chapter two, and we saw that in Acts chapter two was what we always refer to as the birth of the church. It was the beginning of God's church in the earth. So we, we, we figured out that, you know, if you're going to, if you want to see how something's supposed to be, look at it when it started, all right? In fact, there is a biblical law of hermeneutics. I know that that's not a word that you ever use, but it's a theological term. And the word hermeneutics is the word that we use uh, to describe how we interpret the Bible, okay? And so hermeneutics, there's a, a rule and a law of hermeneutics called the law of first mention. And it, it, it indicates to us that the first time we see something in Scripture, we need to pay close attention to it because there's a pattern that's being established in that first instance, right? Does that make sense to everybody? So anytime you see something happen for the first time in the, in the chronology of Scripture, you need to pay attention. Say, hey, what's God doing right there? Well, the first time the church was assembled, the first time there was such a thing as a church is Acts chapter 2, and, and the, the birth of the church is marked by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, do you realize that before a sermon was preached, before the first sermon in, in the first church was preached, everybody got filled with the Spirit and began to pray in a new way? Isn't that awesome? That's powerful. We said that praying in tongues does something amazing to us because, number one, it's effective and it's fulfilling. Number two, it's practical and it's spiritual. It's both at the same time. It's practical and it's spiritual. Number three, we said it's because it's personal and it's corporate. It's something I do personally, privately, and it's something that we can do together. And then the last one was it's perfect. Praying in tongues is the perfect prayer. Now, I'm not going to talk about why because I spent all last week talking about why. So if you missed that, go check it out on the podcast. But today, we want to focus on prayer essential number six, which is compassion or compassionate. Turn to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I hope you're doing all right this morning. I know that I am. It's a good day to be alive, man. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 9. Give you a few seconds to turn there. We're going to begin reading from verse 35, and we're going to read down through verse 38. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. Some pretty cool things we're going to discover in this passage, some stuff that I learned while studying this and preparing for this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. How many of you think Jesus' ministry was pretty doggone effective? Right? He had a 100% success rate, man. That is pretty doggone good. Verse 36 says, but when, in the, in the midst of all this amazing stuff, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. 
because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Verse 38, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I love this passage for a number of reasons, but the two that I'm going to talk about to you today is the fact that this passage highlights for us compassion and prayer. Compassion and prayer. I intend to make a biblical argument for you this morning proving why you need to have compassion in your prayer life. Notice verse 35. Notice how the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. True compassion does not allow you to stay on the sidelines in life. It won't let you remain actionless. Right? If you and I are really experiencing the genuineness of the love of God, the genuineness of the compassion of God, it ought to, it must prompt us to do something. Amen? I don't believe you can say you love somebody and then just stand back while their life falls apart. Amen? I mean, look, it very clearly spells it out for us here in verse 35. It's not a mystery. He was moved with compassion. It didn't say he observed and sat still with compassion. No, the genuine love of God, the genuine compassion of God, the love of the Holy Spirit compels us to do something. It compels us to get off of our butts, spiritually speaking, and do something. Amen. I, I, while I was preparing for this, the, the scripture that kept coming up in my mind over and over again and in my heart was John 3.16. Like, most famous scripture of all time, right? It's interesting. It says that God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. It doesn't say that God so loved the world that he shouted down from heaven, I love you. Right? It doesn't say God so loved the world that he gave us a big, you know, uh, symbolic hug from heaven. God's love was revealed because his love was demonstrated. I'm going to say that again for emphasis. God's love was revealed because his love was demonstrated. Love that is undemonstrated is not really love. You know what it is? Sympathy. Praise God. Love that's not demonstrated is sympathy. It's just a nice card that says we're thinking about you. Oh, man, I didn't expect it to get this heavy this fast. I'm sorry. Really, I'm trying to keep it pretty light up here, but, you know, it's just this is, a, this is real stuff. Love that's not demonstrated, really, can, can it really be called love? Or is what God showed us how his love works, is that really the pattern? Is it that he loves and feels for us so he actually is moved to do something for us? Love and compassion will always 
provoke us to act in the best interest of the ones that we are called to love. Love and compassion will always provoke us to act in the best interest of the ones we are called to love. I want you to see that compassion was the motivation for 100% of Jesus' ministry. 100%. Again, John 3.16 proves that to us. He came because he loves us. He showed up because of his great love. The Bible says we were, my wife and I were talking about this this weekend, 1 John chapter 3, says, behold what manner of love, behold the kind of love that God displays towards us. Behold his love that he calls us his friends, that he, that he left the glory of heaven, that he left his eternal perfection to come in the likelihood of man, or excuse me, in the likeness of man, to bear our sins and be our justification. Amen. Compassion was the motivation for 100% of Jesus' ministry. So now... With that understanding, is it any surprise that the compassion we see in verse 35 leads Jesus to provoking the disciples to pray in verse 38? Is it any surprise? None whatsoever. Let me give you the Greek definition. This is going to be a little weird. Let me give you the Greek definition for the word compassion. Are you ready for this? It's, it's just a little weird, so I just need you to... Just here we go. It means, in the Greek, to be moved as to one's bowels. I told you it was weird. Hence, to be moved with compassion, to have compassion. Watch this. For Listen, this is interesting. For the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. In the ancient world, your, your guts were thought to be the place from which love flowed out of you. That's what it's talking about. When it talks about your bowels, it's a, it's a weird word, right? But it, it's, it's talking about your guts, your gastrointestinal tract, for those who want the medical definition or the medical term. Your GI tract was thought to be the seat of love and pity so that when somebody said that they really loved you, they were saying it from the bottom, man. They were saying it from the floor up, if you understand what I mean. He, they were just like, man, I love you with everything, Right? And we still, you know, we still kind of think of that this, this way today. We may not say it so much, but think about when, you, when you've been in a situation in life where you, you have what? You have a gut feeling, right? Oh, I just knew in my gut I was making the wrong decision. It's the same kind of thought. They were just a little more descriptive about it in the Bible. This place in our life... These bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. So when it says Jesus was moved with compassion, in the scriptures, it represents being moved and motivated by a deep internal response to a bad situation. When it talks about being moved with compassion, it means literally Jesus felt it in the pit of his stomach, compassion for the hurts that he was seeing in the world. This goes way beyond just like, oh, yeah, you know, I, you know so-and-so's having a tough day. Ah, it really stinks. I, I feel real bad for him. No, this was like, Jesus is going, I'm having an intense reaction. 
a deep and personal burden for the, for the lostness of the world that he was seeing. That's intense. No wonder it provoked him to pray. No wonder his response was, you know what, guys? You know what we need to do when we see the world in this condition? We need to, we need to hit our knees and start praying about the issues that are going on around us. Amen. You see, if your prayer life's not fueled by compassion, it's not effective. Now, this word is used only 12 times in the New Testament, and it's actually used only in the four Gospels. This special bowel word is used only 12 times, and it's only in the four Gospels, and it's only in Jesus' ministry. And every time it was used, watch this, every time this word was used, it preceded either restoration or miracles. Amazing. Twelve times this word, moves with compassion, is used. And every single time, it's the predecessor for either a restorative thing or a miraculous thing. It's used when Jesus heals the lepers. Not the leopards like I used to think when I was a kid. I thought, boy, they had a lot of, there's a lot of, must have been dangerous back in Jesus' days. Leopards roaming the streets and Jesus is so loving, he just heals them, you know. What's wrong, buddy? You got a bad paw, you know, and just be healed in Jesus' name. The lepers. When Jesus heals the lepers, it says he did so because he was moved with compassion for them. I wonder if we have gotten so numb to the problems in our world that we've gotten good at passing them by without feeling anything without being pricked in the heart, without a deep stirring and a rumbling on the inside that says, I've got to do something about the hurts and the needs of the world in which I live. I wonder if we've gotten so religiously sanctimonious and we've just gotten so good at being on our high horse that we just walk past the people that have the greatest needs. And listen, it doesn't have to just be the guy begging for money on the street. It could be the lady sitting in the cubicle across from you whose marriage is falling apart. And you're going to try to figure out what you can do to intervene, to intercede in her life. It could be your cousin that you haven't talked to in five years. And you're trying to figure out, well, gee, I wonder what Johnny's doing. Well, maybe his life's in shambles. Maybe we ought to pray. Maybe we ought to find down on the inside somewhere enough compassion to get us to act. Just because your life is all together doesn't mean everybody around you is all together too. You know, when I was coming here, not this morning, but when, when my wife and I were moving back to this area from Florida... You know, we, we, we came here with the intention of planting this church, and, and I was talking with my Uncle Phil one day, who is one of, the, one of my favorite people in the world, and he was telling me, he said, you know, he said, when you get there, he's like, just, he's like, just let people see how you live your life. He said, it will be a testimony to them. And then he said this, he said, and I'll never forget this, he says, because your normal is somebody else's answered prayer. Your normal is what somebody else is begging God for. We need to never forget that our normal, our bad day, is somebody else's answered prayer. Oh, if my life could only improve this much. And you're like, man, I got cut off in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. What a terrible day. 
Anybody else been like that besides me and my seven-year-old? Yeah? Precious Abigail, man. Something goes wrong in her, and, you know, she'll have, she'll, she and Claire will fight, or she gets something taken away from her, or something happens. She, she'll be like, Daddy, this is the worst day ever. I say, listen, pump the brakes. Just calm down. You're still alive. You still have a roof over your head. You still know where your next meal's coming from. You're still okay. Come on, your normal could be the answer to somebody's prayer that they've been waiting for. When are we going to get moved with compassion? This word is used when Jesus feeds the 5,000. He's been preaching to them all day. And rather than do what most preachers do, and I can say this from authority because I've grown up around preachers, get to the end of his message and be like, I'm done. I don't want to see anybody. I'm going home to, to rest. Do you know what Jesus does at the end of his message, which, by the way, was the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached in the history of humanity? After he's been teaching to these people for hours and hours and hours and hours, the Bible says he's moved with compassion for them. Do you know why? Because they're hungry. Most preachers don't have the sense to know that people are hungry while they're preaching. So they just go on forever. Ha, ha, ha. Listen, I'm up here making fun of myself. At least laugh. <laughs> most, most preachers would get done with their message and be like, escort me to my car so that I can go home and rest. The man of God is weary. <laughs> right? I've been walking on water all day. I'm ready to go home. I've been giving these people fresh manna from heaven. Jesus doesn't think like that. Why? Because he's not a butthead, right? He said, you know what, guys? He looks at his disciples. He says, we got to do something because these folks are hungry, and we can't send them home this way. So what does he do? He multiplies the fishes and the bread, so much so that by the time they're done, the Bible says they were laying on their side, filled to the brim. This is the same word that's used by the father of the epileptic boy. Do you remember the, the boy with epilepsy that the father comes and he says, Jesus, if you can do anything for us, have compassion on us. This is also the word used to describe, it's cool. It's also the word used to describe the prodigal son's father. That when he saw his son coming home, Bible says he was moved with compassion and ran to meet him. I want you to know that your father has compassion on you, that he runs to meet you. So, Pastor Josh, what's, why is this such a big deal when it comes to our prayer life? You see, it's one thing to say that we have compassion. What if, what if I can't do anything for the person? I, I don't know if you've ever, if you've had your kids get sick, but when you see your kids get sick, it's the worst, right? Because all you want to do is take their burden from them. All you want to do, maybe you don't, but I do. I, uh, I, every time I see one of my kids get sick, the thoughts that go through my head are like, oh man, you look really miserable right now. I wish that I could take this off of you. It, it, you know, like, like, let's swap seats. 
And here's the reality. You may not be able to do anything in the physical, natural sense to help somebody, but you sure as heck can pray them out of whatever situation they're in. Why, why does this make such a big deal for our prayer life? Why is this so important? It's because you might not be able to physically change a situation. Maybe you don't have a million dollars to give to every person that needs some money. But man, you got a prayer in your heart. You got a word in your mouth. You got authority from heaven. You can speak. You can pray. The powerful, this, this powerful motivator called compassion is an invitation to pray and to shift the life of someone who's in need. Amen. I'm here to tell you there's more, there's more power in your mouth than you think there is. We don't, live, we, we, we don't live up to the potential of what God's put inside of our mouth. We've got the ability to pray and see things changed in our world. Amen. So why must love and compassion be the basis for my prayer life? Are you still with me this morning? You got a few more minutes? We're almost there. Why must love and compassion be the basis for my prayer life? I want to give you two reasons for that today. Number one, because 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. 1 John 4 tells us in two different places, actually, in the same chapter. John tells us that God is love. Love is not something God has. Love is who God is, right? It's, it's, it's one of the only things that the Bible reveals to us that God actually is. The Bible says God is good, and the Bible says God is love. The Bible never says God is faith. The Bible never says God is grace. He has faith, and he has grace. He has peace. He has joy. He has all these resources. But when it comes to his nature, the New Testament tells us two things. He is love. And he is good. So, if you want to get God into a situation, you need to infuse love into that situation. You need to invite love into that situation. You are not going to bring God into the situation void of love. You can't hate somebody in the name of Jesus. Isn't that right, Benny? You can't, man. You can't hate somebody in the name of Jesus. You can't, well, bless God, I curse that fool in Jesus' name. It doesn't work that way, right? Listen, God's not interested in your vengeance prayer. He's not going to answer that. The Bible says very clearly, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yes. Not yours, not mine. It's his. <laughs> oh, man, doesn't it feel good to get your toes stepped on a little bit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, if you're praying and trying to manipulate somebody, or if you're praying revenge, you're wasting your time. God's not going to respond to your vengeance prayer. You know what else God's not going to respond to? Your, your politically charged correction prayer that you want to pray over every leader that ever let you down. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would put that man or that woman in line. He's not hearing that. You know why? Because you're praying angry. You're not praying compassionate. Listen, can I tell you something? I've been hurt by leaders in my life. I grew up in the church. I've seen everything there is to see. 
I've seen the dark side of ministry many times, and I've been hurt personally by leaders. I had my pastor once when I was young. I had my pastor tell me to shut up from the pulpit in front of everybody. I've been hurt. I've had leaders let me down. I've had men that I walked with that I looked up to them. I thought, these guys can do no wrong, only to find out they can do some wrong. Do you know what? Do you know what shouldn't happen as the result of that? Is we shouldn't now go to God and pray some emotionally, politically charged up prayer saying, God, right the ship. Lord, bring them to their knees. The only knees I need to worry about are my own. <laughs> and I understand it's hard to do. We're, we're, we're in a culture that is politically charged up. We're in a culture where we are, we, we are exposed to more slander than we've ever been exposed to as, as any generation that's ever been on the planet. We are exposed to more slander than anybody. I mean, it's getting to the point to the point that if you're not intentionally being detached from it, it's finding you, right? Like you just go check your email and there's something hatred and vitriolic in your email. Like it's just hard to avoid. But we can't, listen guys, we can't allow that stuff to creep into our prayer life. I'm sorry that you've been hurt. I've been hurt too. Let's let the Lord Jesus heal the wound so that we can start to pray with compassion. Glory to God. Do you understand what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross? I'm not talking about he's having a bad moment. I'm talking about he's about to die. He doesn't look like a human being anymore. He is a pile of ground beef hanging on the cross. And do you know what he says? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If that's not compassion, I don't know what is. I'm sorry for it to get heavy. I really didn't mean for it to get this heavy. I really didn't. Why must love and compassion be the basis for our prayer life? Because praying compassionately invites God into this situation because he is love. Number two, watch this. Because our faith does not work without love. Your prayer will only be as effective as the love which is behind it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. If you put that on the screen, check out what it says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Boy, that is tough to say this morning. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But watch. But faith working by love. If you, if you read this scripture and you understand what it's saying, it's saying that in Christ Jesus doesn't matter if you're circumcised or if you're uncircumcised, but do you know what does matter? Do you know what does produce results? Do you know what is important? It's when your faith works by your love. It's impossible for me to operate in faith but not have the love of God. Love provokes God's best in a situation. By inviting him into the situation, this must be the absolute motivation of our prayers. You will pray way more effectively for someone 
if you can love them first. They say, but I can't love them. It's so hard to love them. Then, then ask God to help you to love them. <laughs> oh, but pastor, they hurt me so bad. How could I pray for them? Ask the spirit of grace to give you some grace. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Help me. Help me to pray with compassion. Do it on purpose. I, I, I would challenge you to do this on purpose. Think of somebody you just already don't like. And on purpose, start to pray for them and declare over them in faith, Lord, I love these people in Jesus' name. Lord, give me a heart to pray for this person. I was hurt by a pastor some years ago, a guy I thought was my friend. And he hurt me. And for the longest time, I couldn't get over it. Oh, I did on the outside. Oh, yes, bless God, brother, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, yes. Sanctimonious. Mmm, glory. But on the inside... I was like, don't let me catch that rascal when he's not looking. Right? On the inside, I was like, man, I can't stand to think about this person. And you know, the Lord began to break me down on the inside, said, you'll never go where you need to go if you don't get over this. You'll never get where I want to take you if you don't have the ability to get compassionate on the inside. Listen, there's a reason why this message is the last one in the series, because it's the most important. I want you to pray bold prayers. I want you to pray effective prayers. I want you to stay connected to God so that your prayers get answered. I want everybody to pray in tongues. I want you to get the best God has for you. But more than anything, I want you to walk in love in your prayer life. Maybe a problem isn't that we don't have enough faith. Maybe our problem isn't that we don't have enough grace. Maybe our problem is just that we're not walking in love. I remember hearing multiple testimonies throughout the years of different men, of, men and women of God who would be believing the Lord for something. They're walking by faith. They're standing in, in belief for some breakthrough in their family's life or in their life or in their ministry or whatever. And they, they didn't seem to see or they didn't see the, the, the result of their prayer. They're like, Lord, we've been standing, we've been believing. Is there something we're missing? Because we're not seeing the answer. And God, I've heard many people say this. God checked them and said, hey, why don't you check your love walk? You've been walking in unforgiveness with this person over here for months, for years. And you know what they did? They stopped. They said, okay, let me go make it right. And, and whether they were able to do it face-to-face -face with the person or not. They forgave the person in their heart. They let that thing go. They cast that care onto the Lord. They released the burden. And all of a sudden, faith went into overdrive and they got their miracle. They got the thing they were believing for. Maybe somebody in this room needs to forgive some people so that you can get healing in your body that you've been standing for for months and years. Maybe you're holding on to some bitterness that's not making you any better on the inside. Matter of fact, it's causing you to get worse. And you wonder, why isn't my prayer life working? I want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe it's a, a love issue. I want to read you, as we close, I want to read you the love chapter from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I want to read it in the Message Bible. I'm going to read the first seven verses. And you can just listen. Listen. 
It says, I, if I speak with human eloquence, if I speak with angelic ecstasy, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Oh, ay, 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 ay. You can have the most prolifically worded prayer life and be a turd on the inside. Okay. I just had to say something funny to lighten the room a little bit. Listen, you can pray with perfect eloquence. You could stand up in the service and prophesy with great verbose eloquence and walk outside and cut somebody off in the parking lot and everything you said don't mean nothing. All right? If I speak with human eloquence, angelic ecstasy, but I have not love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Doesn't say I have nothing, says I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. But, but, but what, if I, what if I pray for 15 hours without stopping? I'm telling you, if you don't do it with love, it's just noise. Jesus said to the disciples, don't be like the hypocrite Pharisees who pray loudly in the public places, he said, they think they're heard for their many words. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Watch this for a moment. Love never gives up. What if in our prayer life, we made the decision that we, because we're motivated by love, we were never going to give up in our prayers. What if we decided that, you know what? I'm praying for a situation. I'm praying for a person. I will not stop praying until we see this thing through. I'm going to tell you, again, stories from the dark side of ministry. There have been times in my life where I have used the following excuse to give up on people. I'm just being real transparent with you. You're working with somebody, you think that, you know, that you're trying to help people. This is one of the frustrating things in ministry. You're trying to help somebody. They come to you and say, how do I fix my life? How do I get this together? What does the Bible say about my situation? And you take them right to the scripture and you say, here's what the Bible says and here's how to fix it. And you can, be, you can do this and walk in liberty and freedom. And then they go out from that meeting and they turn around and do the exact opposite of the thing you told them to do. And they come back the following week, pastor, it's not working. No, you're doing the opposite of what the Bible says to do. And so after a while, that can get a little bit old. Right? I just want to invite you to see things from my side of the fence for a second. That can get a little bit old. And what I've done in my life is after getting weary with working for people that don't really want to change, I've said, you know, I think I just don't have enough grace. I think the grace is lifted for me to work with these folks. I think, you know, it's just that, that season is over and I'm just out of, yeah, the grace is lifted. I, I'm I mean, just, just turn them over to God. 
Do you know what that is? It's just giving up on people. Now, maybe you don't need to counsel them anymore if they don't want to listen to you, but you don't have to stop praying for them and you don't have to stop believing the best in them because love doesn't quit. Love never gives up. Love cares. Oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. Can we just say a collective ouch before we continue reading this? This hurts so good. Love cares more for others than for self. You can't be selfish in your prayer life. Now listen, when you're coming to God for things that you need, it is selfish, and that's okay. God wants you to come to the table and say, yes, Lord, here's what I need. But when it comes to praying for others, you can't pray for others selfishly. Oh man, I should have got more amens on that one. You can't pray for other people with your best intention. I'm not going to pray for my wife because of what I want. I'm going to pray for her because of what the Bible says is best and most needed for her. And if I got a change to do that, so be it. Come on, man. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. You mean I can't pray for Johnny's car that I really like? Lord, I pray that you would give me his car. Pray that you would give me such and such his house. I like their house better than I like mine. So by faith in Jesus' name, I claim their house. Again, please don't be a turd, okay? Just don't be a turd. Just do what the Bible says. Your life will be good. Love doesn't strut. Hmm. Love doesn't have a swelled head. These two go together, by the way. Love doesn't strut, and it doesn't have a, swell, a, a swelled up head. You're not going to pray egotistical prayers and see them get answered. Love doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Maybe the love shift that you and I need in our life is not that we stop praying for ourselves, but maybe we just start praying for other people first. Maybe I put my faith out there to see it work in somebody else's life. And then I still go to God with my needs, but just at the end of the prayer. Lord, by the way, here's what I'm believing you for. Hmm. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Oh, this is my favorite, least favorite one. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. We cannot pray effectively if we're keeping score. My pastor told, told the story once of when he was counseling a married couple. And they were talking and they were going through, there were a couple counseling sessions in. And he looked at the, the wife, in this case it happened to be the wife, and, and he said, oh, so he said, so, so you're an accountant. And she said, no, 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 I'm a stay-at-home mother. He says, oh, no, 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 you're an accountant. And she said, no, no, I'm a stay-at-home mom. She said, he said, you're an accountant. She said, how dare you tell me what I am? He said, no, no, hear, hear me out. He says, you're an accountant. You know how I know? He said, you're keeping meticulous records of the wrongs that he did to you. Come to find out at the next session, she showed up with several notebooks full of records such and such a date, such and such a time, he did this to me, he said this to me. She had multiple notebooks where she was keeping track of wrongs done to her. 
I want to tell you, nothing will hinder your prayer life faster than keeping record of wrong. Now, praise God, it's a great story. They got free. They ripped up the books. Their marriage is restored. They're happy. God is working wonderfully in their life. But it, it happened because they got unselfish. They stopped keeping record of wrongs, and they began to pray for each other and invest in each other. I'm telling you guys, if you'll get the pride out of your prayer life, you'll start to get your prayers answered. It doesn't revel, we're almost done, we're almost done. It doesn't revel when others grovel. I think that's just cool. It doesn't get excited when people come begging on their hands and knees. Doesn't, it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Oh my God, this one's tough. It puts up with anything. Anything. It puts up with anything. Love always looks for the best. Love never looks back. Love keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Do you want to infuse such life into your prayers that your prayers outlive you? You know how to do it? Put some love in the prayer. Invite God into it. I promise you, it'll work every time. Let's stand up to our feet as we close. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you. We love you and your life counts.